the White House, the Congress, the prospect of change. The importance of each and every vote. Protect and to preserve our voting system. From the ACLU, this is At the Polls, a special mini-series on, you guessed it, voting. I'm Molly McGrath, a voting rights lawyer and organizer, and your host for this series. The right to vote of all of our young people belongs to you. The machinery of democracy should work for everyone everywhere. When we started our series on voting rights, we asked you to call us, email us, tweet us, send us a carrier pigeon, and ask us about what's been on your mind. Hi, I'm Tammy from Tampa, Florida. I am in Oakland, California. I'm Hawaii. Madison, Wisconsin. My question I'm wondering is, if there's any uh, volunteers. How are they going to become president? This week, we're going to go to someplace I've never been before. Inbox zero. So we've collected your questions and taken them to experts here at the ACLU and across the country to get the answers. There's a lot going on this year. This is the most consequential election. The single biggest choice election in modern American history. And to top it off, now we're voting. Early indicators point to huge turnout in 2020. Americans are already showing their determination to have their votes counted with the election just 20 days away. 26 million people, more than 26 million people have already voted. Earlier than we've ever seen before, more people have put their voting plan into action. And that's great, but a few questions still remain. Hello, I just was wondering a question of how important it would be for us to hand deliver our mail-in ballot to the county clerk's office versus just dropping it in the mailbox. Thank you. No, thank you for your question. The most important thing is to make a voting plan that's going to work for you. And rules vary from state to state. So when you're making your plan on returning your ballot, make sure you look at when your ballot needs to be back to your local election official in your state. So some states require all ballots to be back and in the hands of those election officials on election day, and some can be postmarked by election day. So get your ballot back as soon as possible and make your plan, whether that's to hand deliver it, to use a Dropbox. And if you decide to mail your ballot, make sure you know that deadline in your state and that you get it back in time. We received an email question from Tom in California asking, I vote in California. If I don't want to go to the polling place in person, what is the safest way to be sure my ballot is counted? And can I check to be sure that it has been counted? Well, Tom, you're in luck. It just so happens that California is pretty good at the internet and they've built a website where you can check to see if your ballot has been counted. 44 other states do the same. In those states, you'll be able to see if your ballot was received and whether it was accepted. In some of these states that don't, like Texas, Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, Mississippi, some of the local election officials do the ballot tracking. If you live in one of those areas, you might be in luck. Speaking of which, our next question comes from one of those states. Here's Thomas from Indiana. My local polling places have all used electronic machines for voting. I am concerned, based on reports of voting interference, how can I confirm that my vote has not been altered after submission? 
Judging from our inbox, there are a lot of people like Thomas who are concerned about election security. Hosting this podcast is a side hustle to my main gig, which is working on voting issues with people like my colleague, who returning listeners know as the one summer postman, Bobby Hoffman. Hi, Bobby. Thanks for joining us again on Appearance 2 at at the polls. Great to be back. So let's pull back the curtain on the ACLU's work this year. What have we been doing in 2020 to help protect people's votes? Our ACLU Voting Rights Project has been fighting to protect our right to vote in court. So far, they have won 27 victories in 20 states and Puerto Rico that will safeguard the voting rights of millions of Americans this November. Uh, Those lawsuits and victories will ensure that voters can cast a ballot safely on Election Day. And at the ACLU, we're not alone in preparing to protect this election. Hi, I'm Chris Ray, director of the FBI. Rest assured that the security of the election and safeguarding your vote is and will continue to be one of our highest priorities. We're not going to tolerate foreign interference in our elections or criminal activity that threatens the sanctity of your vote or undermines public confidence in the outcome of the election. Bobby, based on what we've seen, what can we say about our election system and how it works today? Fortunately, we've never had any occurrences of widespread fraud in American elections. And we're not going to this year, damn it. (laughs) Exactly. Elections are administered at the county and municipal level throughout the country. They are staffed by professional election administrators and that from the moment you cast a ballot, if you cast it from home, the letter carrier is very interested in making sure that your ballot is counted. And when you show up on election day or during early vote, those election administrators are very much interested in making sure that your ballot is counted and your voice is heard on election day. Got it. Thanks, Bobby. Our next question comes from Becky in Farmington Hills, Michigan. If you are receiving an absentee ballot, can you change your mind and go vote in person? If so, what would the procedure be? Thanks, Becky. The answer depends a lot on where you're living because every state's answer will be a little different. Since you live in Michigan, it's important that you bring your absentee ballot with you when you wanna go and vote in person. That's the law in Michigan and California and Florida and a few other states. But if you requested a ballot and you don't have it and you change your mind and want to vote in person, you'll have to vote a provisional ballot. And those can be a little more complicated to count. What you ultimately want to aim to do in your voting plan is to vote a regular ballot and do this as soon as possible in a way that works best for you. Hi at the polls, I'm Joseph from San Diego. My question is, there's a lot of talk about the presidential election, and we all know that's important. But I'm wondering what are the other important things we should be looking out for on our ballots this November? Thanks so much. Thanks, Joseph. There's a lot of very important and very impactful races up and down the ballot this year, whether it's the House, the Senate, and local races across the country. Also, the ACLU is focused on a few key ballot measures that would increase equity and decrease injustice. Let's take a look at a couple. In Oklahoma, another member of the ACLU family, Taylor Pendergrass, has been focused on State Question 805. State Question 805 um, would begin to tackle Oklahoma's mass incarceration crisis. 
State question 805 would limit or end the use of sentence enhancements for nonviolent crimes. It would not allow judges or juries to consider past convictions during sentencing for nonviolent offenses. Oklahoma is the number one incarcerator, not just in the United States, but in the entire world. And one reason for that is that Oklahoma sends people to prison for decades and sometimes life for nonviolent crimes like uh, low-level drug possession or shoplifting. Some of the folks that we have identified who are currently locked up include an Army veteran who was given 17 years in prison for stealing a $450 HP laptop. There's a mom that we have worked with and actually is someone that we've profiled in our campaign who was at the time homeless and stole about $250 worth of necessities from Walmart. She was homeless with a kid at the time and she got 22 years in prison for that offense. Why should everybody have our eyes on what's gonna happen in Oklahoma on election night? The win in Oklahoma would also be really significant because the sentencing structure that results in these obscenely long sentences for nonviolent crimes is a feature of a lot of other states. You know, there are a rash of states that passed mandatory minimums and three strikes laws and enhanced sentencing in the 1990s, you know, with funding and encouragement from the federal government. So showing that we can uh, start to roll those back in Oklahoma, I think is going to create a lot of space and conversation about doing the same thing in other states. I think a lot of our listeners are going to hear this even from across the country and say, what can I do? How can I help make this pass? There is so much that you can do to help 805 pass in Oklahoma. We're at a point in time where we're kind of have two things happening. We're not able to go out and knock on doors in Oklahoma as we used to be able to because of the COVID pandemic. So there's never been a better time rather than sitting at home and doom scrolling on Twitter for you to plug into an effort like 805 that would have a direct impact on people's lives in Oklahoma. Doom scrolling on Twitter? What's that? Never done it. I've heard other people do it. (laughs) Scrolling slightly up past Kansas and into Nebraska, there's another ballot measure that the ACLU's been working on this year. My colleague Jennifer Bellamy will give us the latest. Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Sure, absolutely. So let's talk about ballot measure 428. What is this? Ballot measure 428 is basically... Um, the people of Nebraska having an opportunity to put an end to 400% interest rates. Um, Right now, payday lenders um, in Nebraska can charge over 400% interest rates. Uh, What 428 would do would put a cap um, so that payday lenders can charge over 36%. And one of the things that, you know, we see is that communities of color are disproportionately uh, targeted by payday lending. And so not only is this an important issue Um, Because it's a predatory practice, it's also a a racial justice issue. You know, the people in Nebraska have an opportunity to make their voice heard and vote in support of this reasonable rate cap. And, you know, folks around the country should do it as well. That question was in Arabic, asking how members of their family who don't speak English can still vote. A great question. Here's the answer. Uh, 
So uh, even if you don't speak English, so long as you are an American citizen, you do have the right to vote. And a lot of jurisdictions have resources available, you know, in order to accommodate the language barrier and to ensure that everybody can exercise the right to vote regardless of what language they speak. That's Al-Sharif Nassif, the campaign manager with All Voting is Local in Pennsylvania. He works with election officials in that state to make sure that people can vote, no matter what language they speak. So language is power. So like when you see like ethnic tension in different countries around the world, I mean, and, and in America too, obviously we have, you know, like sort of like racial violence, like this has historically been, been a problem. And, and part of that, you know, has to do with, with the lack of, uh, of avenues to exercise democratic rights. And, you know, language access is one of the ways to make sure that minority communities uh, are included in the process. Ideally, not in just a tokenized way, but actually like giving meaningful uh, agency and representation to those minority communities. And doing so actually increases the likelihood of peace. So there is a, a peace building component to this as well. Hi, my name is Jordan and I'm calling from Albuquerque, New Mexico. My question is, what steps are being taken to make voting more accessible amongst Native populations in light of COVID-19? That's a great question, Jordan. We looked close to your home for the answer. Atza Chavez runs an organization called New Mexico Native Vote. Atza, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. How are things changing for New Mexico's Native communities during a pandemic? In a lot of communities, the day, election day, is kind of like an additional holiday. On the Navajo Nation, a lot of folks will incentivize people to come out and vote by, you know, having mutton stew and fry bread. And it's really kind of a celebration of that civic ability. And so in a large part, the majority of our populations like to either early vote or vote on election day. So when you have a pandemic that dissuades people from doing that, or when you have those early voting days shrunk down to the lowest minimal amount, then you really disenfranchise a lot of our voters. And how many voters are we talking about here? So we have potentially, you know, low estimates, about 300,000 to as many as, you know, half a million voters in the state of New Mexico. Wow. And can you talk a little bit in particular about some of the obstacles to voting that folks who live um, in the tribal areas face when trying to cast a ballot? Many of our tribal areas are in rural areas. So any of the challenges that you have for rural areas are compounded in tribal areas. A lot of our residents on the Navajo Nation in particular don't have a physical address or a P.O. box that is associated with them. So I know when I lived on the reservation, I'm a Diné born for Kiwa Pueblo, um, that we would drive about 55 miles to go get our mail. And we would do that maybe once or twice a week to be able to mail out our bills or pick up anything else that might be coming in. During COVID, a lot of our communities, in fact, all of our communities took the safe route to safeguard themselves and close their communities off completely. So for some areas that meant that there was slow or disruption to mail. They said that they went from four to five days to get something from a rural area to the urban space, and that was getting as long as 12 days to get mail. Atsa's organization has been seeking out community members they call super voters, who help make sure that ballots and voters can get where they need to be. 
In Montana this year, we also saw efforts to protect the right to vote for tribal communities. My colleague, Alora thomas Lundberg went to state court there along with the ACLU of Montana, NARF, Native American Rights Fund, on behalf of Western Native Voice, Montana Native Vote, and Five Tribes. Okay, Alora, thanks for joining us. Hi. Hi, stranger. I feel like you guys need to know that I'm wearing a voting tracksuit right now. Okay. Um, I don't ever see you anymore, even though I used to see you all the time. I know. Let's talk about one of your cases that has kept you busy and away from me. Let's talk about Montana. Montana passed this new law in 2018 that banned the collection of ballots by individuals. If you weren't like an official government person, you'd be limited to six which I think on its face just sounds like, oh, that's kind of common sense. You're going to limit six family members. It's going to be six people. Like, what's the problem? And the problem is it does not work for rural reservations, especially the rural reservations in Montana, for a lot of reasons. I'll just name three quick ones. One, a number of people live without residential mail. They have to actually travel to a post office or to an election office in order to vote. Two, poverty and lack of transportation makes it extremely difficult to travel to these places. So three, our clients had gone around and were collecting ballots to make sure that people could vote. And so that whole process was disrupted when this law was passed, making it extremely difficult. And it specifically hurt Native voters in Montana, of which there are 70,000 Native people living in Montana. The last Senate race was decided by like 17,000 people. Wow. So what was the result? What are things like now as folks are already voting and voting this year? We had a trial in September and we won on all counts, like total victory. The law is now enjoined, meaning cannot be enforced, meaning everyone in Montana can pick up as many ballots as they want, and there's no restrictions, and that's how it's going to be for the election. Congrats, Alora. That's a big win. Go democracy. Very excited for this new podcast. I'd like to know what voter protection rights issues voters and poll workers should be looking out for at the polls. And who do you recommend reporting problems at the polls to on election day? Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks, Jennifer. Alora, what do voters need to know? I think the first thing I would love to tell your listeners is no one has the right to take your right to vote from you. And so that we shouldn't let the forces out there that are trying to intimidate us win. There are potential different ways in which intimidation could happen. And I don't want to scare people into thinking like these things will happen. We're being very vigilant on our end. There's a whole like team of lawyers also being vigilant, not only at the ACLU, but in the wider like voting rights community to make sure that these intimidation tactics don't happen. If you do encounter something that either makes you feel uncomfortable or you're noticing that other people seem to be uncomfortable, I would say, yeah, definitely call 1-866-R-VOTE and describe in as much detail as you can what you're seeing. Just call them up and let them know if you're a voter. You can talk to the people at the polling place. I mean, I think we should expect the best 
also of our poll workers. They're working in a, under really difficult situations, and the vast, 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 vast majority of them are like civil servants wanting to increase the right to vote, wanting participation to work. I think that's the important lesson, right? That there's so many hypotheticals, and everyone should know that people are preparing and there's help available. We're preparing a lot. I have been on so many calls, and I was up until. 2.30 last night working on a legal memo about the issue of voter intimidation. Believe me, there is an army of people preparing and thinking about these issues. And you get in touch with us and we are like ready to jump into action. That's our job. Your job is to vote. If you haven't already, go out there and do it. Info is available at aclu.org backslash voter. If you want to volunteer from your home to join our ballot measure efforts in Nebraska and Oklahoma, join us at peoplepower.org. Election day is soon, and we'll see you at the polls.